Welcome, everybody, to episode 95 of the podcast. Today, I have with me author and porn addiction expert, Joshua Shea. Joshua, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here with me. Um, I'm really excited, as I was telling you before, and I feel like this is a, a, a taboo topic for a lot of people. Um, obviously, it's something you talk about all the time. So I think my first question is, what do you feel like it is difficult to talk about this with people? Because for everyone that you talk about, it is like a foreign, touchy subject. But for you, it's your everyday life. Do you notice that difference when you're talking to people? Yeah, I really do. And I have to actually remind myself of that almost every day where, you know, if I could, if I had a dollar for every time I said the word masturbate, I wouldn't have to work anymore. And, <laughs> and uh, I have to remember that for many of the clients, uh, the first time clients, especially, they may have never talked about this with anybody. It may be a subject that causes them great shame and great grief and uh, they're summoning up every piece of courage that they have to talk about it. And I have, do have to remind myself of that. But one of the wonderful things is when I'm sitting with a pornography addiction addict and we start talking and you can see their body language change. Like they're very rigid and stiff at first. And once they figure out that I'm not going to judge them, I don't care what they looked at. Odds are I looked at way worse. Um, and I certainly have heard way worse stories than they can give me. Um, and and I'm, I'm not here to embarrass them. I'm not here to pass any kind of opinion on them. I'm here to help them. Once they recognize that, that they're not going to be raked over the coals, you do see that relaxation. And you do see a lot of times somebody actually being happy that they can finally talk about this openly that they've been hiding for so so long yeah it's not something like it's strange because it's not like alcohol addiction or drug addiction where there's definitely a shame and there's definitely it's just but the outlets to where you can talk about it like aa meetings they're so present in our society and so talked about and everyone like has like a story of someone struggling with drug or alcohol abuse but like not everyone has a story of, it, of someone that they know that struggles with porn addiction, even though I feel like from from just me being not an expert, you can correct me on this. It feels like it's just as prevalent. What, what are your thoughts on that? It's statistically even more prevalent. Yeah, that's what I would assume. That's what and I would it's, assume. And it just keeps growing, especially with the youngest populations um, who are now growing up. I mean, you pretty much have to be 32, 33 years old to remember a world before high-speed internet at this point. Mm -hmm. And these are the these are the age groups that were absolutely pummeled with pornography that had no censoring. The moment that you could, the moment that you'd give your 10-year-old kid a smartphone, they had the greatest porn computer in the history of the world. Mm. And most of us parents who gave them to the kids didn't even know porn addiction was a thing. Right. And most never use the internet for porn. Um, it just wasn't something that registered. But when it comes to 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old kids, both boys and girls, there's great fascination in this. And now that they can watch the hardcorest of the hardcore on their phone, it's 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 becoming an epidemic like we're seeing. I mean, the statistic that scares me the most, and this is now five, six years old, this was before the pandemic, was that in a, a group of 18 to 30-year-old men who were surveyed, 33% said that they either had an issue with pornography, was developing a full, was developing an addiction to pornography, or had a full-blown addiction to pornography. That's one out of three guys under 30. That's wow. that's scary because that that makes, you know, a lot of these other addictions that are perhaps more socially acceptable uh, pale in comparison when you look at the numbers. Do you feel it's I like the wording you use. Or I don't know if I like it, but it's interesting. Socially accepted like addiction. Um, do you feel like it is more socially accepted or. If you if it was as like, I guess, normalized in culture, like if everyone knew about these numbers, do you think that it would still hold that stigma to it? Or is it just the fact that it's hidden, that it's kind of like uneasy to talk about as a, in comparison? 
I think that um, over time, it will become easier to talk about. Okay. I look at my parents or my grandparents' generation. They were hugely conservative when it came to sexuality and nudity. Um, you, you, you don't even have to look back a hundred years and see all of the conservatism that was out there. You can go back 50 years and see it. Now, my kids' generation... Um, and my kids are, you know, of college age. Um, this generation, I almost wonder if it's got too liberal, too fast with mm. sexuality and nudity. And uh, I think that the tipping point was my generation, Generation X, where it kind of, I think we maybe raised our kids a little too liberal or raised our kids how we wanted to be raised on sexuality. Plus you had the internet and social media and all of this coming together at one point. We now have this perfect storm and we've got so many people, you know, in their first three, four decades of life who are addicted to pornography. We're going to need to start acting like adults and be able to talk about this and talk about this as a public health issue, not something that we giggle about because, oh, my God, I can see a butt. You know, it, it, it's 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 time to grow up and recognize that you can talk about pornography without making commentary on the content of the pornography. Right. I um I, I don't agree with what I'm about to say, but do you mind if I play devil's advocate for a second with you? Please do. Um. I know the way that, at least in the U.S., this is speaking strictly about the U.S., um, the movies that are out there, not so much the TV shows anymore uh, with shows like Euphoria and everything, but the movies that are out there and things that are being released, um, I know that they're much stricter with, say, sex and uh, just any like pornographic behavior inside of a movie they're much more willing to as soon as they see something they throw an r rating at it or an x rating at it whereas like you can see drinking and you can see drug use and that can stick to a pg-13 or even like i think of one thing i think of a lot is violence gun violence you can see a full-blown action movie where hundreds of people die and that's okay but like one sex scene and it's no longer a pg-13 movie so with that in mind do you think that's just something that is sticking to the movies and this move to streaming and TV shows is changing that? Or is that just not indicative of the where society is within? Well, when it comes to Hollywood, I was actually reading an interesting story not too long ago about how large the budgets for so many movies are mm -hmm. now, how many superhero movies there are, how much with special effects there are, and how R-rated movies, it's almost like a stamp of uh, death these days yeah where if you're going to make an r-rated movie you better make it very cheap because right now the teenage audience is such a huge audience for movie going that they don't want to re release anything that people can't see they want to make the most money possible and we got to remember that whether it's hollywood or whether it's the the porn creators ultimately all entertainment is created for making money and what is going to make them the most money? Hollywood has figured out that it's the PG and PG thirteen movies. So whatever they don't, uh, whatever they can't put in a PG thirteen movie, they're not going to because they can't risk that R rating and alienating half the audience. Um, it's just the way things change. You know, if you went back to the eighties, almost everything was R rated. It was almost a joke if something was PG or God forbid it got a G rating. Yeah, that was you never wanted to go see anything like that. Mm, that makes sense. Um, also, I guess one more thing, I guess, dancing around the subject, but being. Being as as in depth with it as you are, and obviously, like, you know, as much as you know, how much frustration is there with you about like people's inability to like break through and have these conversations? Um. You know, I try not to get too frustrated. I try not. I try to stay basically even keeled. I mean, I know through my story, which is you know, twenty four years as a porn addict, twenty two years as an alcoholic. Um, I know during that time that I would have gotten into arguments with you. I would have defended both alcohol and pornography. Uh, it wasn't until I started to learn the math, learn the science, learn the statistics. 
it wasn't until I got myself into recovery that I realized what a problem it was. Um, so it's either somebody who is, if somebody is defending this stuff, usually I ask myself, what is their motivation for defending it? And it's usually either that they make money off of it or that they use it themselves and don't want to admit a problem. Mm. Where would you say is the tipping point to where it's a problem? I believe it's a problem when you can no longer 100% fully control it. When you start to have, when you start to feel like your body and your mind are running you, when your body and your mind are screaming at you that you need this stuff, when you start to plan your day around it, when you start to pick uh, the pornography over doing other things, watching TV, hanging out with friends, doing your homework, stuff you should be doing or used to enjoy doing. If you're spending loads of money on it, I mean, let's be honest. If you spend money on internet porn, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> It's true. It's true. There is more porn out there to cover 20 lifetimes. And I'm not exaggerating 20 yeah. lifetimes than you ever need to drop a dime on this stuff. And uh, ultimately, I think that addiction truly comes down to trying to make uh, promises to yourself and being unable to keep them despite understanding that there are going to be negative consequences to your behavior. Mm, mm. So with that, what did you see? Cause you said like the statistics, the math and some of the science behind it, you said you saw some of these things and you're like, Oh, there's an issue here. What were some of those things that you saw to, to make you flip the switch? When I saw things like how much the average person uses um, when I saw things like, you know, what the average person watches, how they, how their body feels when they're watching pornography and then learning what happens to the addict. And I could absolutely identify with and the addict going through different stages, early addiction, uh, ongoing addiction, and even critical stage addiction, which I was in at the time that I, I, uh, turned things around. Um, it was really being in rehab and learning about how the mind works, learning how trauma works. You know, addiction is 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 not the biggest problem. Addiction is a symptom of a problem. And that problem almost always is trauma. That's the bigger problem that a mm. lot of people don't see. So I think these are all, you know, really important parts to it. Um, I feel like, again, feel like you don't, if you don't need to answer this question, you do not need to, but I feel like I'd be remiss to not ask what was like the critical, you said you're in like the critical addiction, uh, space. Like, what does that look like in your case or just in, in a, uh, simple case, I guess. In, in, in my case, um, which is pretty textbook. Um, and this is one thing that a lot of people who use porn recreationally or uh, partners of, of porn users or porn addicts can't understand uh, is that it stops becoming about the sex or nudity. It has nothing to do with it. It is just a matter of that is the vehicle upon which you get those mind chemicals, the, uh, the oxytocin, the dopamine the endorphins, the serotonin, all of those pleasure chemicals, which is the reason that somebody becomes an addict because they're, they're, they're chasing those chemicals and the high of those chemicals. Um, that's, that's, that's really all you're after. Mm. And you know that pornography is the, is the vehicle by which it's delivered. So you, you go and you look at porn. And you don't care what's on the screen. It's either doing it for you or it's not. And if that day, you know, simple uh, missionary style sex isn't doing it, click a button, find something else. That's not working. Click a button, find something else. Click a button, find. Oh, okay. Well, here is beach nudity or or orgy scenes or whatever it is. It doesn't matter whether it's softcore or super hardcore. All that matters is it's going to work that day in getting you to when you're self-satisfying, getting you to a finish spot where those uh, those chemicals are released 
and then you move on with your day. And I can tell you, I couldn't tell you what I had even looked at 30 seconds after I looked at it. Right. I didn't, I didn't care. It was, a, it was kind of like just finding a spoon for my medicine. Mm. I didn't mm -hmm. care if it was a big spoon or a small spoon or a gold spoon or a silver spoon. Doesn't matter. Just get me my damn medicine. And that was kind of the way it was the last few years of critical addiction. Didn't care what I looked at and uh, just needed those chemicals. Once I got those chemicals, I moved on with my day. And you can spot the people who are at this stage of addiction because they'll almost always say, I don't even like looking at porn. I just need to almost like it's medicine, really? almost like it's maintenance. And if anybody has seen the film uh, Leaving Las Vegas with Nick Cage, that's a great example of uh, somebody who's an addict and needs to keep using to live. Um, obviously, alcohol has a bit more chemicals because you're ingesting them in the alcohol. But people who are hardcore alcoholics, um, they need to drink every day just to keep going. And that's really the way I felt with porn and with many of my clients and many of the people I've met along the way. When they describe that is how they feel about porn, you know that they're in the critical uh, stage of it. Um, what would be the frequency with that? Like how many times a day are you masturbating? It it depends who you are. Mm. Um, I can tell you myself, I don't think I ever probably went beyond six times a week. I don't think I ever was an everyday guy. Mm. But I have I've worked with clients who have uh, pleasured themselves twice a week and they absolutely qualify as addicts. And yep. then I've talked to people who use five, six times a week, don't fit the definition whatsoever. It really is about what it's doing to your life and how you're handling it. I Now, when you talk about people who do sometimes use twice a day, uh, they are almost always addicts. Um, I've dealt with people who three, four times a day sometimes. And these guys, you could almost always say are addicts. But when it comes down to daily use or every other day use, it really depends on how it's affecting a person's life. There is no you know, actuary table where you can line up numbers right. and say, okay, this is where you are. Right. So do you feel like age has any factor on this? Like I know younger people, you have the more hormones. Like, do you feel like that does it take that into effect into uh fact as a factor when you're coaching somebody like oh this person's 21 years old versus this person who's like 40 and has a wife like does that change the equation or not um what changes it more is where they are at in life and okay. what experience they've had in life you know yep. if the 20 year old has never had a healthy uh normal sexual relationship with somebody it's very different than the 40-year-old guy who's been married for 10, 15 years, uh, who has had that wife and has had that normal relationship. Uh, as far as age goes, uh, attacking when it comes to something like libido or sex drive, um, there isn't a huge, huge difference among ages. There, it just Because the addiction really dulls the libido. It dulls the sex drive. Um, that's what's kind of ironic about this is that Ask a, ask a heroin addict how much sex they want to have. It's zero. Ask mm -hmm. a gambling addict how much sex they want to have. It's zero. We often make, you know, we often confuse sex or intercourse and porn addiction as some other kind of addiction because it involves the depiction of sex. It, it involves an orgasm. But the reality is people who are porn and intercourse addicts also have low libidos. You literally can get somebody who can have a supermodel for a wife who is the best person at having sex in the world, and that guy will not want to sleep with them. That guy will sneak out of their house in the middle of the night to go have dangerous sex with dangerous partners in dangerous places because it's not about just having an orgasm. It's nothing about having an orgasm. It's about getting those chemicals to your head and having intercourse with his partner, the, the supermodel partner in bed, just doesn't get him going because mm. it doesn't produce the dopamine, the oxytocin, all those other fun chemicals. Whereas uh, 
working with his addiction and giving into his addiction, that does it. And that's the thing. It's not because he's he's horny. It's not because he wants to get laid. It's because he wants to get those chemicals. And the way he gets them is through dangerous sex. Um, we've talked a lot about uh, like the male experience with this. Is there like um, not is there? I mean, it, it definitely is. But like, what do you what would you what would you say the difference is in in genders? At least like in a broad spectrum, talking like maybe in sex, not gender, just to stay away from that conversation. Um, female and male. Like, what we do you could notice? Be here all day. Yeah, right. So I'm um, just gonna we'll talk about sex. Just like me, male, female. Do you notice any difference in there? Ninety percent of it is the same. 90% of it is exactly the same. I would say the difference is that women seem to uh, put a little more feeling into it, put a little more emotion into it. Um, women statistically are more likely to act out and cheat on a partner after watching porn than a male is. And again, that's just statistics. Um, and you'll often find that Women carry more shame. Uh, women carry uh, a few more stereotypes about what porn is or porn isn't. And I think that's only because they, as a whole, have not been accessing it nearly as long. Mm. For the, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, up through a lot of the 90s, pornography was marketed toward a straight white male crowd. Because it costs so much to make, it costs so much to distribute. Um, it was it was like a real movie industry back then when it came to how they made their revenues. And now, if you and I through Craigslist could hire some porn actors, hire hire people to you know write us a quick script, and we could have a porno movie made in two days mm. and making money for us online in two days. So it allows people to go after a more targeted audience so you're seeing women being targeted more than ever before you're seeing gay people being targeted more than ever before you're seeing people of color or people of religion being targeted more than ever before and uh i think that you know that is is still a uh i don't want to say novel and i don't want to say scary but it's still a new experience for mm. a lot of adults who are non-white straight males. So it just may not have taken its true form yet in a lot of ways. I think so, yes. I right. think so, yes. Um, we talked about what the critical addiction would look like and what like uh, a deep addiction would look like. What does it look like to have a healealthy relationship with porn? I don't Do know because exists? I don't think anybody has a healthy relationship with it. I've probably read over 150 studies, uh, you know, talking everything from dealing with kids and porn to dealing with marriage to dealing with, you know, just how different people watch. I have never read a study where the conclusion is pornography is healthy for you. All I, all I can say is that there is a population of people for whom they are able to watch porn in moderation and at best it's not unhealthy. Mm. So why does... I mean, obviously, because you have experience with it, but you said you also have experience with alcohol addiction, too. Why did the porn addiction stick out to you as something that you should study and you should become an expert on and help people with? Uh, I went to the bookstore, and hopefully most people remember what those are. Um, <laughs> I went to a bookstore um, shortly after I entered recovery because I, I, I was a journalist by trade for over 25 years. I'm a researcher. Like I said, I've, I've read a ton of studies because I like reading those kinds of things. Mm. I went to the bookstore to see what I could find for porn addiction or sex addiction books right after I entered recovery because I'm a researcher. And there was nothing there. There were books on alcoholism. There were books on drug addiction. There was books on overall addiction, but nothing for sex or porn. And that was when it just dawned on me. What is a guy who doesn't like to read these kinds of studies? Where are they going to get their information? Where? Yeah, so I, I went home and I looked on Amazon and there was very, very little out there. So I said, perhaps with my experience as a porn addict, plus with my ability to boil down the statistics and science, 
into easier to understand English, maybe I could write some books for the mainstream guy, for the guy who just wants some information. So that's what I did. That was the first thing I did. I thought that was going to be the only thing that I ever did with porn addiction, just kind of send that out there. And what happened was after that first book came out, I got some response from uh, addicts, but I got a huge response from their partners, husbands, wives, even some mothers who were saying, oh my God, you fixed yourself. Can you fix my guy? Or how do I fix my guy? And in talking to some of these ladies, I learned about the concept of betrayal trauma, which is when the partner lies about their use for years, it's discovered, and then there's the fallout with the partner who was betrayed who can't trust this other person anymore. So I found that fascinating. So I, I did a lot of research on that. Uh, and I wrote a book with a uh, colleague who's a licensed marriage and family therapist named Tony Overbay. So we wrote this book for betrayal trauma sufferers. And after those two books came out, I was asked to be on a million podcasts. And I started doing speaking about this, started making some money doing speaking about it. Then the pandemic hit. And mm. you couldn't go anywhere and speak. Uh, so I realized if I was going to continue to work in this realm uh, full time, I needed to do something else. And I knew that that thing was probably going to be coaching. So I got myself certified. I took the courses that I needed. And uh, that's what I do now one on one is help uh, people with pornography addiction and help their partners with the betrayal trauma. Um, what would you say, because you said you've been able to speak and you've been able to do some probably pretty interesting and cool things, have some cool conversations. What's one thing that sticks out in your mind of like, oh, that was a really cool thing I got to do, or this was a really interesting conversation, something cool that you learned even? Uh, I've got to do things like be on the national news. You know, I've, mm. I've been that head in a box on cable news channels, yeah. you know, saying what I want to say that that's that, you know, honestly is, is a little bit cool. Um, I've been interviewed by a few people who I've recognized mm. um, who, you know, who were, were moderately famous as, as newscasters or personalities. Um, honestly, my favorite thing is is helping people one-on-one -on -one, though that's the coolest thing is when somebody at the end of a first session says oh my god i feel like i've never felt before this was great or you know after uh, when they you know will say after a session i used to go to a therapist and they didn't know anything about this compared to you and you have a way of talking that you make me very comfortable and you make me feel like i can you know tell you anything and it's going to be cool that's that's really validation that's that's where i get the uh that that's the coolest thing i definitely can sense your ability to talk to somebody and put things in a nice way and make you know have fun with it you know not with this i guess not have fun with that with like some of these specific issues but have fun just in general and just like oh and I make jokes. jokes. I make jokes all the time when I'm when I'm having yeah. my uh, sessions with people. Um, if you don't like to laugh, if you don't like to poke fun at things, I'm probably not the guy for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you need somebody who's very dry, but who you're talking to right now is absolutely who you will meet in a session. Is absolutely who you'll meet in real life. One of the things that recovery taught me, both from alcohol and from pornography is that life is so much easier when you don't have to keep track of your lies. And beyond that, it's so easy when you're just the same person all the time. Mm. And you don't, you don't play roles for people and you don't put on masks for people. I'm the guy you are going to see 24-7. Right now, I'm wearing shorts. I'm going to be wearing shorts for my sessions that I have later this afternoon. And I'll be wearing shorts after that because I <laughs> like to wear shorts. So I'm going to be me. Right, right. I was going to ask you about that, just like how comedy or not comedy, but how making jokes and like maybe just lightening the load of it. Do you think that that's key to the way that you assist or is that just like maybe just the way you go about it versus somebody else? I think that it. I think it makes me seem more human. Mm. I think that, you know, as somebody who was an addict, yeah, guess what? I really liked looking at girls' body parts for 24 years, you know, and I now have techniques to not do that. And I now know why I shouldn't do that. And I've, 
you know, I'm beyond that, but I can still, you know, I understand why these guys who are fighting this so hard and are in very early recovery, you know, why, why they're having trouble because there's a, you know, someone will say, I saw a beautiful girl wearing a bikini walking down the street. And it was like, oh, you had to look, didn't you? Just because there's someone in a bikini walking down the street, you had to look. It's of course, of course you have to look if somebody's, you know, walking down the street wearing next to nothing. Um, I think that there is a lot of, well, you can't say this, or you can't admit this, or you can't laugh at this mm. um, in, in a lot of uh the 12-step groups in a lot of therapy and you know whether it's defense mechanism or whether it's a way to just make people comfortable with me i i find that making jokes and and poking fun at things and laughing at things we all laugh at you know generally builds a bond and builds a rapport much faster 100 i fully agree with that you said that you use some techniques to kind of kill those instincts in your mind or maybe just put you at ease without giving away the secret sauce without giving away all the secrets what could maybe some of those techniques be or what are some just minor things that you could use to change to make those changes well i mean one of the biggest things that people need to do along the way whether it's early recovery or or midway through is to demystify nudity and I do this with logic because let's admit there's 8 billion of us on earth. What is the only thing we all have in common? We're all naked under these clothes. It's true. There is <laughs> absolutely nothing unique about nudity. Nothing. It, it, it happens more than almost anything else on earth. It's a universal experience of all people. And if you were to line up a hundred naked men between eight, 18 and 50 or a hundred naked women between 18 and 50, yes, you're going to see tall people, short people, fat people, thin people, different shades of skin, different sizes of body parts. But when you look across that hundred men or that hundred women, you're going to notice they look far more similar than they look different. And what is so you and, and you can point to one who maybe fits the mold of aesthetic beauty of 2023 today, but that may not be the aesthetic mold of beauty, you know, 50 years from now. And we apply these, you know, pretty arbitrary standards to people. When you look across all these people, they're all pretty much the same. And even the ones who you think are beautiful now will look like the older ones eventually someday. Yeah. And yeah. they'll, they'll gravity will take over there or child rearing will take over there or, you know, different, different uh, things that happen to us when we age. It's not that unique. You know, if, if it's just not that special. And that's one of the things that I, I have to do with pretty much everybody across the board is get them to stop putting nudity on a pedestal. Because as like I say, I, I tell some of these guys who I coach, how many thousands of breasts have you seen in your life? You know, thousands upon thousands if you've been watching porn 10, 20 years. You spot an actress or a model or somebody sexy online who, you know, you know that there's nudity of them somewhere and you just got to gotta see it. What are you going to see you haven't seen before? Mm -hmm. Absolutely nothing. Just because this person is an athlete or musician or a movie star. There's, those are just jobs. Yeah. They are still a person. They still, you know, look exactly the same under their clothes. And I guarantee if you've seen a thousand sets of breasts, you've seen whatever this person's breasts look like. You know, there are just so many variations out there. You've already seen this. You're not going to see anything special. They take off their shirt. Ta-da, there it is. Are you shocked? <laughs> are you surprised? Isn't it pretty much exactly what you thought it would be? And... Yeah, the answer is yes. And so removing the the uh, specialness, removing the mystique around nudity is one of those things I have to do. Uh, and sometimes, like I said, it comes early in recovery. Sometimes it comes later on, depending what the person needs. And I know a lot of people that are struggling with addiction, as you said, it's a very chemical thing. It's basically entirely chemicals. It can be the only way you can receive things like dopamine, whatever that may be. What are some ways that you would maybe replace and start to 
fill in the gaps because obviously if you you can't cut everything out and then not add anything back into your life or do you think you can do that do you think cutting that out would maybe bring some of the joy back in some of your everyday activities uh yeah i mean i I think it's great cutting it out if you can replace activities um you know i when i used i pretty much used between one and three in the morning Mm. so i just replaced it with sleep right Right. Um, you know, there are some people who use five minutes a day. There's not really that much they need to replace with, you know, with time wise. Um, I just think that for those people uh, who are trying to quit, you need to have plans. You should have. OK, I don't I, I would like to use porn right now. I'd like to self-pleasure right now. I should have five plan other plans of what I could do. Mm. so i can leave the room so i can leave my phone so i can leave my solitude and if i'm around people or i'm doing something else or my mind's otherwise occupied then i won't be doing that um that's really what i push people for towards is just finding something else to do it doesn't even really matter because it's one of these things like you know remember being in school in the summertime or being in school during the year and then the summertime you're like when did i even have time for school yeah and, yeah and it's just one of those things when when it disappears most people don't talk about having a ton of time on their hands they just replace the they just replace the activity with you know regular life would you say hobbies like did you pick up any hobbies or anything that maybe um like could be used as one of those five things that you have like oh Maybe I'll paint or maybe I'll uh, read a book or something. Is there, like, do you think there's use uh, in that? Or for, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm somebody who can watch movies all day long. I love that. Mm. I'm somebody who can read all day long. Uh, I'm somebody, I, I'm, I'm very easily amused with almost anything. That's why it drives me nuts. Absolutely crazy. You talk earlier about, you know, getting frustrated at some people who won't quit the one of the things that makes me the most frustrated is when people are like, well, I only use when I'm bored. And it's like, that is an excuse. That is an excuse. Saying you're bored is a permission slip. It's a golden ticket to use. When you say you're bored, okay, I can use porn now, yay. There's no reason in this world you should ever be bored. You can, like you said, Learn to paint, learn to play a musical instrument, write a letter to your grandmother, you know, mm. read a book, write a book, <laughs> go for a long walk, go for a long drive. You know, you can do so much, learn origami. There is so much you can do in this world. You should never be bored. And people who say that they are bored with, and that's the only reason they use porn, that is a bunch of crap. They are just making stuff up. So they feel like they have a reason to use, not an excuse. Uh, moving away a little bit from the porn, what are your uh, what are your favorite movies? If you're a big movie watcher, uh, favorite movie of all time is probably Goodfellas. Goodfellas, um, great movie, so yeah. much fun to watch. Love that movie. Can watch that all day long. I uh, I love the movie Jacob's Ladder. I've never uh, watched Jacob's. A Ladder. A lot of people haven't seen that. It's now about twenty five years old. It is it is one of the best movies if you're looking to. Just be saying, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? Really? Yeah, it's 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 a great, great movie. One of my favorites of all time there. Who's in uh, it, do you know? What's that? Who's uh, starring in it? It's, uh, oh God, what's his name? Tim Robbins is the oh, main star. Really? Yeah, Tim Robbins is the main star. I think it came out probably, probably right around 1990, give or take a couple of years either way. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my all-time favorite movies for sure. Um I really like the movies of Sofia Coppola. Um, she was she's Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. Oh, um, really? She was the one who got shot in Godfather Three at the end. Oh, yes. Um, yes. She's made a lot of fantastic movies. Um, probably the two best are Virgin Suicides and uh, Lost in Translation. My my two personal favorites. I've heard um, of Lost in Translation. I've great not watched movie. it yet. Um, I love the films of David Fincher, uh, stuff like Seven, The Social Network. Seven. Great um, movies. The Game was was one of his. Um, I think he is absolutely one of the greatest directors out there. Paul Thomas Anderson's another great director with things like Magnolia and Boogie Nights. Um, Darren Aronofsky. I mean, Requiem for a Dream is one of the 
uh, craziest movies that's ever been made. Absolutely. Uh, and then he did stuff also like The Wrestler and Mother. Uh, he's just so prolific. Um, I think right now we're almost in a golden age of movies, and I think that'll be recognized sooner than later. And I hope it continues with all this streaming stuff that we have going on, because more right now, more than ever, people need content. Yeah, it's definitely... I wrote down like all those movies that you were uh, rattling off. I a review of every single one. (laughs) I don't know if I could do that for you. I love movies too. Um, Me personally, I think it's more about the movie going experience, which which is sadly fading. Um, And I think a lot of this can kind of, we can kind of bring a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about into this type of topic of just this overstimulation that everyone seems to have with this, with the streaming and, TV shows, they'll come out with 20 episodes at once and people will be like, I wish there was more. Like, it's just a crazy shift. And it's always like whenever we make a step forward, it feels like it's a thousand steps forward. You know, the internet releases, an internet comes out and it's like information just became infinitely easier to access. You get streaming platforms and like TV shows, movies become infinitely more easy to access as opposed to like on demand where like you have to pay, you know, it's just a, it's a very different process. And I feel like maybe this overstimulation, especially with my generation, as you were saying, is what's leading to a lot of this porn issue. It's just so available. Do you even remember a time where you couldn't pause TV or rewind TV? And I I remember when that became a big deal. Nowadays people don't even bother anymore. Like, you know, like it's like, I'll watch it later. It was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, that was not the world I grew up in. And it's amazing how much technology TV shows that I haven't seen for 20, 25 years are filling up all of these streaming different apps. And, you know, if it's, if it's ever been filmed, it's out there now. Right. Right. I wonder sometimes, cause I'm 20, I turned 22. Actually, today's my birthday, by the way. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you. you I turned this long. Right. 22 years old today. Um, and I know I'm young. I know that like my life has pretty much been entirely through phones, but I remember not getting my first smartphone until I was probably in high school. I got to like, freshman year in high school, maybe eighth grade, maybe, but I did have a lot of my childhood with a box TV. I did knock on doors to get friends to come out with us. We did ride our scooters and our bikes around the, around the town, looking for people and looking for things to do. There was a little bit left you were the very last of that generation i think so i think i was the very last bit so when our professors will talk to us and they'll say you guys grew up with smartphones i don't know like i'm not maybe it's just because it's me and like i think i live in that world i don't think we really did what i'm looking at is the kids 10 years younger than me and maybe five 10 years younger than me because i know i know of people that were six years old when they got their iphone a smartphone which is, again, as I was saying with these big leaps, vastly different than a flip phone, which is what I had when I was in fifth grade. That's when yep. I first got it. So things change as time goes on. And I wonder what the impact is going to be on the people 10 years younger, maybe the 12-year-olds right now, people born in 2010 and beyond. Do you have any ideas of what the impact that's going to be in your field with porn and everything, with people that are born the whole way with, with it? Well, I mean, right now we can look at the fact that there is a kid who has just got home from school somewhere in America, and he is about to sit down and watch more pornography than his great-grandfather ever saw in his lifetime. And he's going to watch it this afternoon. And tomorrow, he's going to do it again. Mm -hmm. And on the day after, he's going to do it again. That's only three generations. Our little monkey brains have not evolved in three <laughs> generations to be to handle the kind of uh, deluge of chemicals we're sending into our bodies. You know, we are supposed to only get this mix of chemicals when we engage in sexual intercourse. And now we've learned to go around it and short circuit ourselves. And we're now just learning 20 years after high speed internet has has come about what the what the uh, dangers of it are i think that the biggest next thing that we're going to see and i believe that this will ultimately be the legacy of the pandemic when it comes to pornography is that we are going to start seeing pornography addicts not in the consumer side but in the producer side there are mm. so many people now through things like only fans or cam sites 
There are so many more millions of people creating pornography now on their own and selling it on their own online than there ever has been in the history of the world. And I, my, I've written four books about porn now. The third one was about how the online pornography world changed during the pandemic. It probably advanced 10 years in three months right? because everybody was stuck at home. And it wasn't just, you know, guys sitting behind their computers consuming the porn. You had all of these usually young service workers, the bartenders, the waiters, the waitresses, the hostesses, the people who work in retail, who suddenly didn't have a job and needed to make money. And a lot of them being gregarious people, being people who care about their image, who know how to, you know, be, be good with customer service, got into the sex trade. And you look at something like OnlyFans, January 1st, 2020, just as the pandemic was about to blow up, there was 300,000 people making content on OnlyFans. Go back a year, January 1st, 2022, um, two years later, there's 3 million people making content on OnlyFans. Wow. And in interviewing these people, I interviewed many of these people right when the pandemic started. And I interviewed many of these people about five months after the pandemic started. And there were some who were totally about the money. But I talked, and especially the younger ladies, I talked to them and they were like, you know, I can't get a date in real life. But here I am for three hours a day. I can go online to my camera room and I've got guys from around the world telling me how beautiful I am and I can't get a date in real life. Or I, I don't feel like I'm anybody special. I don't feel like anybody cares about me, but I've had three men ask me to marry them. Wow. And what I hear when I when I hear that, what I hear is somebody chasing dopamine, somebody chasing love, which is oxytocin somebody chasing attention. And that's not about making the money to do that. That's about being an addict. And I can totally see 20 years from now, 45, 50 year old men and women still doing cam work, still doing OnlyFans because they love the attention, because they need to show their bodies uh, to get that high. I think that, uh, Pornography addiction as a producer is just the other side of the same coin of pornography as a uh, addiction as a consumer. And right. I think ultimately that's where I think that's going to be the next big thing is that we're going to see people who make pornography start to come out as addicts. Yeah, Because in a lot of ways, that's where like the real there's been a rise in frequency of use for for. I guess people that that uh, use porn, like especially in like the as you said, the white male demographic. This is something that's been going on forever. Just now, it's more frequent at, on an individual basis. But in terms of like the community of users and the community of creators, that is the real thing. Like those numbers you just said were shocking. Like going from the thousands to the three million range, and that's one site. That's which only is one site. Just like craziness, craziness. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's actually a very good point. It's not the answer that I was, in, uh, not that I had one in my mind, but that's not the place I thought you were going to go with that. So I'm, I'm glad. I feel like I really just learned something. I feel like that makes a lot of sense to me, um, that the creators are the ones that are now falling into that addiction. And also, it's a very different addiction for the users as well. Like, that's something that, you know, you being an expert, you're going to have to learn about. <laughs> uh, yeah. like What that experience is like when you're talking to the person on the other side. And then especially as AI evolves, you know, this this is a opening a massive can of worms. But, you know, one day they'll just be able to chat with you and yeah. and be able to make a video that looks pretty legit. And then yeah. a guy could, you know, be in that chat room with an AI bot. Pornography so, has always been on the cutting edge of technology. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> because, well, but if you can create a new technology people want to know how to have sex with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the way it's been since history started. Once you have new technology, how can we sexualize it? Right, right, right. Like those uh, AI, like not the AI, the uh, the virtual reality. Headsets, the virtual reality headsets, exactly. Oh, Jesus. I, I, I like forget that those even exist. Like that was the first thing, one of the first few things, you're right, it's on the cutting edge. One of the first few things that I saw 
like in terms of like what its purpose could be that's one of the first things that like comes to mind that like it's like is that how that works um and if you know, those ever get to the point that they're twenty dollars each Ooh. That's that's when we're going to see the real, you know, explosion of that. Another, thankfully, there yeah. is. Thankfully, they're just too expensive right now. Yeah, it's another one of people. those examples of a, a small step that makes a massive change. You know, yeah, um, yeah. So there's a lot of spaces like that. Um, I was gonna say, when also, I might just cut this part out. Do you have a cutoff time where you want to be? Yeah, I have a session to do uh, at five after six. Five after six. Okay, so we can just. You know what? I'll keep all this in. We'll just wrap up here because uh, I feel like it's like a pretty, you know, decent spot. I want to get into a new conversation. Have to cut that short. Right. Um, but yeah, I sh- well, first of all, how was your experience on the dogcast? This was great. Yeah, very simple. It's You're easy. A very good interviewer. I appreciate that. You're a very good interviewee. You're easy Thank to you. talk to. Um, this has been incredible for me to learn, and I hope that someone out there is watching and maybe getting maybe a wake up call or just some awareness on what's going on. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. Can you please just shout out any place where people can find you? Maybe a couple, maybe your one of your books, whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, you can find me at my website, which is paddictrecovery.com. That's how you can also schedule a time with me. If you're interested in any coaching, um, all my books are available on Amazon. If you, if you search my name, my latest book is I'm reading this book about porn addiction for a friend. Um, <laughs> I just, that was, that was the name that I came up with early on years ago. And I said, I'm going to go with it. It's one of my four books all available on Amazon. And then if you have TikTok, um, you can find me on there at that corn coach. That corn coach. That is actually where I found you. And then I saw you on the podcast guests um, list. And I was like, there's no way. Because I saw you yeah. pop up one time. So um, really good TikToks, actually. Very like quick. I love the way you do them. Um, you give some pretty in, in, uh, factual information. You know so much about this stuff. And you're such a you're a true expert. And I just, uh, just want to say thank you again for coming on my small little podcast. It really means a lot to me. So thank it's you. okay. Any, you know, it's people always ask me, why don't you have a podcast? It's, it's very, like, very because, cool. well, I would have to, you know, come up with a new topic every week and I would right. be talking to largely the same audience. So I prefer to go to other people's podcasts and, uh, you know, talk to your audience, then move to a different one, talk to the same audience. So even if I say the same things, at least I'm getting them in front of a lot of different people. It's very, very true. Um, But yeah, thank you very much for your time. Um, And thank you, everybody, for watching. If you've made it this far, if you made it about an hour in, then I applaud you. Thank you very much. And uh, don't watch porn today. Today, take the take the day off if you're watching right now. Make make this make this the wake up call. Don't watch porn today. Um, And yeah, thank you very much. Thank you as well, Josh. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye bye.